This is Gemma Redgrave, and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 492 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where this could be us or an evil presence in our body puppeteering us towards mass destruction. Either way, we'll be wrapped up in about half an hour. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. And I'm Kier. This week, a nihilist alien attempts to make Earth the next example of unavoidable entropy and demise, while hardline rhino cops try to recapture him with very little concern for human obstacles. In Prisoner of the Jadoon, there's there's a pattern to how the Bannerman gang handles alien ships that crash land conveniently nearby. But this time, there's two species running around. The rhino-like Jadoon, who enforces the law of the Shadow Proclamation, and their highly dangerous quarry. Dangerous because the Androvax can possess another sentient being, controlling them and gaining access to all of their memories. This gets personal and highly dangerous when Sarah Jane herself is overtaken. Now, nanotech is also overtaken and used to craft the Androvax's escape ship, but not before unleashing them on the planet. Well, at least the the top of the lab building, for a start. And the only ones who can stop the whole mess is the teen trio. She knows everything about you, just like you do about her. He's so angry, Luke. Come on! That's what you meant when you said all worlds die. You saw it happen to your world. What happened? Our sun turned cold as I traveled the stars. I returned and found my world a ball of ice. My people frozen at its heart. I was alone. So alone. And I had seen Many worlds have teemed with life, happiness, hope, fools. I would teach them what the universe would do to them. You destroyed them because you were jealous. Because the only truth of the universe is destruction. Liz Sladen really got to to give it her all as the villain in the story. How do we feel that she did with her portrayal of the destroyer of worlds? Firstly, I would like to commend her for being able to continue speaking with that voice throughout, keeping it consistent. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there was much tea, honey, and lemon head so on film days for this one. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that it was very consistent and you could definitely see a huge shift in both her body language, her facial expressions, 
everything that she was putting into it was just amazing, fantastic. And you did not for a moment think that that was Sarah Jane in that body. The the two things that I that I find most striking about this particular performance, which I think is one of Sladen's absolute strongest. Anytime you get a, a an actor who gets to play two roles in the same cut, like not even just in the same episode, in the same takes, uh, is going to be a, a real test of their mettle. But when she has all these opportunities to be as over the top as we have had other Sarah Jane villains be human uh, appearing villains where you get full view of their facial expressions there's no prosthetics involved or anything like that to sort of mask their movement of eyebrows and things i take uh, miss wormwood as a as an example it's so easy to go way over the top with it and there is a degree of restraint that i think that Liz Layden kept demonstrating over and over again where she didn't even furrow her brow nine times out of ten she kept it all, you know, the, the smile was one of these smiles that never reaches the eyes and things like that. And those are specific choices that I think she did extremely well. But there was also just the fact that, as you were saying, Julie, about her her physical demeanor, so that when there were those couple of scenes where, where Sarah Jane is emerging within a line of dialogue and sort of, you know, the, the arguing with myself thing, where it's... Not only the timber of her voice and her delivery, her uh, her shoulders hunch forward, all these little choices that just show that she is putting a lot of careful attention into making sure that there are distinct differences for uh, for an audience that may potentially more so than an adult viewing audience, when you have a, a young viewing audience, they need it spelled out more clearly, but you don't want to make it some of those things where it's so Jekyll and Hyde that it's cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And it just straddled an incredible line. I loved it. Well, and to, to the very point where not just her, her body language, but her facial expressions, like in the, in the instances where she's speaking with Sarah Jane in the, the reflection, even if it wasn't like, if they didn't do the things to like kind of telegraph who was speaking, you could tell just by the way her face looked in the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was really well done in the fact that she was, you know, just went a hundred percent with it. I mean, I I felt like it kind of was a little over the top at times, but it's also a kid's show. So it makes sense. It had to be. Yeah. A precedent has yeah. been set for, for villains that are, you know, the Snidely whiplash esque without right. being, quite that i do recognize those moments where especially when it was in the reflection you're like oh there's sarah jane she's still in there her smile is (laughs) real yeah it's the same actor but this is the kind one i like her better (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this story's technical aspects were multifaceted and very interesting to me from both filming and script cues giving time for the characters to travel between locations, and then also the pseudoscience of the nanobots. For each of you, which aspect was the most compelling, and then which kind of really pulled you into the story and brought you along with it? Speaking personally, I think nanotechnology is kind of a fascinating concept just for me personally. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this taps into that at a degree where, yes, again, youth audience in mind, everything gets sort of done with with very, you know, wide magic marker outlines on it and things. But it's it's a topic that could be readily abused, but it's actually – 
covered enough that it's interesting and I can see it engaging young minds to want to find out a little bit more. Uh, more so than I think times in, in, in other episodes where the pseudoscience is kind of either unapproachable or just so pulled from whole cloth that it's it's not something that an interested kid could go to their local library or go online and find out more about because there's just no no basis for it in in hard science. Or like when they're doing just the drawings or sketches that Luke is able to understand and read, but it's it's right. not really anything you could talk about other than just pictures on a page. Yeah. This is something that's topically relevant or, or was and, and still is, you know, to a certain degree. Um and and this is a is a good touch point for real world taken into this fantasy science fiction world. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. And not to mention the fact that it reminds me of a lot of other properties where, you know, use of nanobots gets kind of cool and swarms of them moving and things and oh no. Yeah, I mean, it. Nanobots have kind of become a a a tool to be like, oh, there's there's magic, but this is a sci-fi show, so we're gonna yeah. say nanobots. And but this time, like, they really kind of it's like, no, we're we're I I downloaded schematics and I'm uploading a program for them to follow, and it like it actually made a little bit more sense than just oh nanobots go and you know, <laughs> and then they do magic. Um, so it's. I, to Kier's point, like I, I love nanotechnology kind of stuff, especially since it's it it is so amazing in in so many things. But when they use it correctly, it is kind of compelling. And the you know the concept of like oh they have to be in cold storage because of the heat that they generate, and using the you know the um, the fire extinguisher against them to to kind of shut them down for a moment was was great. It's those kind of things that I absolutely love uh, witnessing in, in these shows. Neat. So then I'll take the other side of this. And one of the things that I really appreciated was travel time was a real thing. And I it made a big difference because of the interactions with Ronnie's parents being on site. So you had to mm. give them time to get there, get established, all the kids running when Sarah Jane arrives. So for me, that was really interesting to see how all of that played together and allowed the story to really feel like it took a whole day to happen and wasn't mm -hmm. just like, bam, we're here, bam, we're here. And I think it was because you had three separate parties trying to shuffle around the same, well, four, because the Jadoon had their t arrival times <laughs> for when the, the other party got there as well. So I think those technical aspects of that storyline really brought me along with it. And I kept kind of pointing at the screen and being like, yes, oh, timing, here we go. And seeing how all of that fitted together was very satisfying. Yeah, using Ronnie's parents as that mechanism, um, as well as sort of the glue uh, between some of the, the major beats was a, was a pretty deft hand, I think, uh, on Phil Ford's part, because we we're already sort of endeared to them to a certain degree because of mom being, you know, the way that she is, dad being this principal, but when he's on the clock versus off the clock, you get a very different person. Their exchange among uh, uh, between them and their family dynamic is is entertaining in its own right. And then there's that aspect of saying, okay, well, now we've got another set of parents that have just had their eyes opened to this bigger thing. And to a certain degree, my brain was sort of tumbling around with the, okay, 
there's a lot of Earthlings who have kind of come to recognize, you know, I mean, how many times have they had planets over London or, or I mean, ships over London? And so there's there's a percentage of the population that's just going to keep that cognizant. The security guards immediately said, oh, aliens are not part of this contract and ran. Yep. Yep. Deuces. No, other shows, I feel like even previous Sarah Jane episodes, you get them staying and fighting because mm-hmm. it's part of their mm-hmm. job. But these ones... Deuces. Right. Uh, and the difference being here in this case of the parents uh, discovering is that they don't know Sarah Jane and company's involvement in it all. And they're on that fun little flip of the thing saying, no, really, there was aliens. Sure, there were. Sure, yeah. there were. And they get the little head pad at the end. So that's a that's a nice little juxtaposition. And, and that's something you can continue to have fun with as we go. But um, but yeah, I... I I personally really like how that little that family has dropped into the ensemble at this point. I probably far more so than uh, any of the other family dynamics we had gotten to date. Definitely far more so than um, than the family from season one for ver- for a myriad of reasons. <laughs> but uh, you you still see there's some strain between Har- Harif. And the mom, mm-hmm. but they still get along. They're still interacting together. And oh, I sure. think that that allows them to your point of you've got dad when he's off and on. Mm-hmm. And then you've got mom when always being silly, crazy, go nuts. Mm-hmm. But she's always on a mission of some kind. And so following her and like, I want her to succeed. I want the flower <laughs> business to go places. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was very ambitious and had really good ideas with hitting up a corporate. She learned everything. She had that pitch that no one ever got to hear as to why they needed those flowers in that building. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. She's a go-getter for sure. I like the fact that her business has become sort of a a sea line story of of how to get some of these things to happen because it happened in the Bane episode too. It was like her her shop was like a a part of making things happen. She's a catalyst for all of this. And she's successful enough that she has a huge delivery van now. Yeah. With the stenciling on the side and... I want to dial that number. (laughs) I think that was a legit number on the side of that van. I want to dial it. I know. I had the thought. I was like, I want to call that number and see what (laughs) happens. So um, speaking of like the the, the sort of the comedic aspect of of what her family brings to the to the fore, so uh, similarly to what we had with the Slavine in other stories, with Centaurans to a certain degree, the Jadoon every time they had been coming back up to this point, well, including this point, have to straddle this line between being an actual formidable force as law enforcers uh, or mercenaries, eh, potato potato, um, and being this comedic aspect. So in this particular story, how do you think they handled the balance? I appreciated the you know the, the lawful neutral Jadoon being like everything is strictly by the book to the point where like they parked and he's like, no, you you have to pay and display. You know, it's like like <laughs> it has to be done kind of thing. Can't and go it, in there, authorized gave, access only. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it gave kind of a a nice like uh it, it added some humor without being goofy. Can you imagine if there were walk, don't run signs? Uh, oh, man. It was a, well, they, they would have, there would have been disaster. They never would have made it. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think some of that ability to introduce them as very formidable, but also there's only one. And he starts off 
with a little bit of a detriment. So they have to help him even stand up at the beginning. And so mm-hmm. you get the fear from Sarah Jane and the realization of who they are, what could be the worst of it. And then it's it's balanced by that interaction where he's like literally pulling one of those like can't stand spins around, mm-hmm. which I find funny. Mm-hmm. Like that's the the extent of funny comedy to me where I try to spin my kid at the playground and be like, walk in a straight line, go try it. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think that that set the precedent for the rest of the story where it was all that back and forth with the three kids. And I think it was great that they stayed with him and that Sarah Jane was taken out of the episode a little bit because of that so that you got them interacting and showing frustration for things that in other words or other situations would probably be funny to them too. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, really searching pockets for coins and right. <laughs> justifying, oh, you can go in here, see, oops, accident, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a fair balance. And it also, I think it's probably pulled back a little bit on uh, around the fulcrum from the comedic side to what we had just, I don't know really how, how much of a time gap there was between seeing David Tennant staring one down, go, fo, fo, no, so, go, 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 go. And that was, you know, Mojo, Jojo. And it was full on comedy relief. This almost feels like that was pulled back a little bit and said, no, nope, they're still, you know, gun toting forces to be reckoned with. They're on a mission. They cut, they get their instructions from a far more formidable higher power. And they they need to be uh, a point of consideration. They may be kind of silly in their appearance, and some of their behavior might strike us as as unusual, borderline funny. But you still have to worry about the fact that you're staring down a barrel from them. So, yeah. and I and think, do we see them again all the way until Fugitive? Is I, I, I don't even know if I have to remember. I don't, I don't know if we do. So it's a nice kind the, of like no, they they show up again at uh, in season four, the this, like stolen planet. Uh, Spoiler, but even then, they're they're kind of ancillary at that point. Like, there's a lot going on, and they're yeah, very much. I think also to your point of like they come into both situations, and when they do their scan of the eye, they say you are irrelevant as an entire species, Mm -hmm. and uh, that you can see the characters react to that and kind of take that in in a moment what what do you mean i'm i'm important to me but also as viewers to say who are we in this universe yeah and how does that fit and you you dovetail that with uh and this is something i think we we hear a number of villains uh when they when they're discussing having to deal with or sideline the human species about the the androvax says it you know it's uh or androvax speaking through sarah jane you know, in, in relatively speaking, it's been a blink of an eye since you crawled out of the water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those kind of digs, those kinds of little reminders that, oh, you know, <laughs> here's your little pat in the head. You haven't even figured out interstellar travel yet yeah. is is that little uh, cold ice bath reminder that, you know, we're still rather small in the grand scheme. So, And to still get your international... Whatever travel, <laughs> travel card revoked, revoked at the end, like oh, slap to the face. Dude. So, so now I want to know. I haven't listened to the new Big Finish series for Bannerman Road that has has them all, you know, in present day. Mm-hmm. Is he still grounded? 
<laughs> That's what I want to know. Is like if there's a moment or, where they could actually tap into that and say, oh, no, I'll go along. But oh, wait, no, I can't. Or does he go anyways because he still just defies <laughs> the law? Do what me. I want. Shadow Proclamation says I can't do this. I, but guess what? I'm Kai Langa. <laughs> I want to see him like be like, you know what? I'm going anyway and then get in trouble because he's off planet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like they had somehow placed on him a ankle tracker and now they know and they come after him and that's the whole story. That was part of the eyeball scan was they put a little <laughs> nanotech in him. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, he, he totally defied that because he gets by on good looks and one-liners. Yes. <laughs> Such a good line. Now you Such can't say line. that at the end. I know. I wasn't planning to. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a strong start to season three. You know, it's got, it hits everything mm-hmm. that we want and it's it's enjoyable. And, and we didn't get to watch this one with the uh, with our little one, with our six-year-old. But uh, mm-hmm. well, I, I think it would, as soon as we explain to him, I think because of his, and, and I'll, I'll mention other properties here, because of Big Hero 6, yeah. he will understand nanobots and that idea of them being used for for ill or for good, um, that he'll even at age six he'll be able to follow this one without a without a concern. So plus, then he'll see yeah. rhinoceroses in a whole different light. Yes, it's true. Rhinoceri, rhinoceroses, rhinos, rhinos. Well, next time when we come back, we're uh, we're going to be taking a look at, at some. Uh, some memorable moments that really have kind of hit us right in the heartstrings. Yeah. I think with the lead up to the 60th and everybody really reminiscing about the, the aspects of the, of what's being brought back to, uh, to new content and saying, Oh, that, that just reminds me of how much I really loved, you know, turn left and everything that did for me. And, oh, and so you start waxing nostalgic about those moments where the show isn't just entertainment and it isn't just a laugh every once in a while and it isn't just silly aliens. Sometimes it really levels you. So mm-hmm. why not? Lean into it. Yeah. I'll bring my legit onion so we can see me cry. She really can't stand it. I, I wear like, goggles. Yeah, she does. It's weird. Well, this has been episode 492 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, can somebody please get Miss Sladen a, a throat lozenge? And this is Kira saying, lawful neutral. Sucks for paladins, sucks for the Jadoon. And this is Julie saying, no, ro, jo, do. We'll see you next time. And I'll see. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Jacob Hansen. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.